0: In chapter 11 of Romans Paul describes this amazing mercy of God, mercy that extended to the Gentiles and then and also then kind of returns back to the Jews who rejected that mercy initially, and this causes Paul to break out in a doxology in praise of God. He just he just breaks out in praise of God. God's greatness is unfathomable. Greatness, his untraceable past. I'm so glad, I'm so glad we have a God we can't figure out. Aren't you? I mean if we could figure him out, he wouldn't be that much of a God. But Paul says he is untraceable. We can't figure him out. He doesn't need anything from any of us. And then in chapter twelve, because of this great mercy and because of this great mystery, Paul says, Therefore, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, In view of God's mercy, we worship God because of Jesus and the mercy given to us. I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God created us to worship him. It's built into our DNA to worship God. And I know that may sound strange because you may not think of yourself as like a person who walks around worshiping all the time. Maybe you worship and maybe you sing a song in the shower uh, and maybe your your family has asked you not to. Um, But we're not talking about worship singing. We're not talking about you got to play a piano or guitar. Paul is talking about offering our lives as a living sacrifice to God, worship that is a part of our daily life. And the fact is, that longing in all of us to live for something bigger than ourselves or something bigger than small, to, to be in awe of something that's greater than ourselves, that is an echo of the worship that God built into us, which is a meant to be directed at God. And when sin entered the world, sin did not erase worship, it didn't suck worship out of the world, it just, re- redirected worship away from God and towards lesser things, things that are not worthy of worship. And so I want to propose to you that all the disorder we see in the world, you name it, all the heartbreak, the betrayal, the, the evil, the brokenness, all of that is the result of five words. When the serpent said to Eve, you will be like God. Those five words redirected mankind's worship from God to self and everything in the world. The world's problem is a worship problem. We moved God from the center of our lives and we put ourselves there. I want to just, I know this, uh, uh, I know I shared this a couple weeks ago, but um, we learn a lesson from our solar system the sun's great mass is what keeps all the planets in proper order. If you tried to take away the sun and put another planet there, even even Jupiter, the largest of the planets, it would have nowhere not even close to the kind of mass that is needed to generate the kind of gravitational pull that keeps everything, every planet in its proper order. Because over 99% of the mass of the solar system is in the sun. So in the same way, when we move God from the center of our lives, the minute we moved God from the center of our lives and we put other things, what the Bible calls idols, into the center, life gets out of control. Life goes out of orbit. And, um, and that's what we see, life flying out of order. It doesn't matter what we put in there. You could put money at the center. You could put sex in the center. You could put pleasure at the center. You could put success. You could put alcohol. You could put... Um, family at the center. I live for my family. You could put philanthropy. I'm going to just give to the poor and help people. It doesn't matter what it is. You name it, if it's not big enough to be at the center. These things are not necessarily bad things. They're just not big enough to put at the center of our lives and hold our lives in order. So what happens is when our lives start to fall apart, I'm making more money than I've ever made, but I'm not happy. Our marriage is falling apart. Things are falling apart. Maybe if I had more money, maybe if I had more success, maybe if I had more of this, so we get more of that, and and life falls apart all the more. I feel like it needs to be said as well that... Uh, there's a voice that comes along and says, add a little religion to your life. Add a little God to your life. you just enough, just enough to keep things, you know, so that God's a part of your life, you know. So go to church a little bit. Grab a memory verse in the morning. Maybe like Dion Warwick, the moment you wake up. Before you put on your makeup, you say a little prayer to God. Just enough God so that he doesn't really disrupt anything, but he's there. He's in the orbit. Maybe he's Pluto, way out there, distant. And, and here's the amazing thing. People that do that, uh, I've, I've, and, and I've done that, by the way, but when we do that and then things go wrong, sometimes we blame God. We blame our Pluto God, you know, even though he's out there, way out there, and we're barely doing any any kind of worship. He's barely in our lives. But when things go wrong, it's like, I said a little prayer, and this happened, and we blame God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God at the center. Guess what happens? Jesus said, all these other things will be added to you. You hear the difference? We're not revolving around money. We're not revolving around our family. We're revolving around God. And as we revolve around God, these things are added to us. These things begin to revolve around us in proper order. That is how God made it. So our lives, the biggest purpose in our life is to worship God. And Paul says, make your life a daily act of worship to God. Offer your members as a living sacrifice to God. Live your life. Do what you do. But do it to the glory of God. That's the big purpose of our lives. Now, verse 2 begins to tell us, and I think the whole chapter tells us this, but we're just going to get to verse 2 this morning. Verse two begins to tell us how, how we do this. Let's read it together. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, we pause here and ask your blessing upon your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to help us with this, Lord. Not just to understand it, but to be changed by it. That your word would speak powerfully to us, making us more like Jesus, transforming our lives, Lord. We ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus amen. Okay, so how how do we live our lives as an act of worship? Well, Paul says it takes a don't and it takes a do. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world. To be conformed means to be pressed into the shape of something or to begin to look like something or be fashioned after something. We all know what peer pressure is. Peer pressure is that pressure from our group to what? To look like them. And it's a real sense of pressure. Well, the world has a pressure, a pattern that it wants to squeeze people into so that we look like the world. Here's where I think as believers we need to be careful because historically we have the habit of reducing worldliness to superficial external appearances and behaviors. I I remembered, and this is like off track, but I remember years and years ago going to a a Christian concert and the artist came out, long hair and uh, a leather jacket with long tassels on it And um, I remember somebody saying, he looks so worldly. You know what? This is bad news. If pretty much any one of us walked into a church 50 years ago, we'd look worldly to them based on what we're wearing. What is worldliness? We. Reduce it to external appearances and everything. And Jesus encountered this all the time when the prostitute washed Jesus' feet with her tears. That was an act of worship. That was pleasing to God. But you know who it wasn't pleasing to? The Pharisees. They looked at her and said, boy, if Jesus knew who was washing his feet with her tears, he would have nothing to do with her. Why? Because she is worldly. When Jesus went to have dinner with Matthew the tax collector, the Pharisees again stood outside because they were holy. Jesus was inside eating dinner. They stood outside and they asked the disciples, why is Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors? See, to them, we avoid worldliness. We avoid that that sinner. Why? Because we are holy. And the church has a habit of doing that And missing the heart of God. Because, listen, prostitution is worldly. Amen? Sinning is worldly. Collecting taxes is very worldly. We're soon going to have, what, 87,000 more tax collectors running around? That's worldly. But you know what else is worldly? Being a religious snob. Like we can't get away from worldliness. Worldliness is every culture, every fashion every every look. It is worldly to have a nose ring. It's worldly to have a tattoo. It's worldly to be clean cut. It's worldly to wear a three-piece suit. Everything is worldly. The thing itself may not be worldly. See, worldliness is a heart thing. John, When John says, this is what the world is, this is what worldliness is, do not love the world, he doesn't talk about your hair. He talks about... the the pride of life, the the lust of of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, all these desires that want something other than God. You know what worldliness is? It's wanting something other than God. The Pharisees missed the heart of God. They wanted something other than God. What they ended up with was self-righteousness, a religion that did them absolutely no good because they missed the heart of God. They were as worldly and if they, had knew, if they were worshipers, they would have said, Jesus, we need you just as much. And we're worshiping you too. And you know what? Move over. I wanna, I wanna wipe his feet with my tears as well. But they didn't. So worldliness, don't be conformed to the world. It's harder to do that than you might think. He goes on to say, and this brings us to the do but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way not to be conformed is to be transformed. And the only way to be transformed is by the renewing of our mind. Now, how do we renew our mind? How does our mind get renewed? A lot of times, and I've been guilty of this, we reduce, again, reduction, we reduce the meaning of renewing our mind to reading our Bible. Maybe you've heard that said. Now, listen, we love the Word of God here. This is what our faith is completely built on. Knowing this, loving this, studying this, preaching this. So absolutely, renewing our mind, you'll never do it without the scriptures. You'll never be able to. I'll never be able to renew our minds without God's word. But God's word alone, and I'm going to show you this from scripture, is not enough. But we can also see it from everything we see around us. There are people... We've all met them who know the Bible maybe better than we do. And they're mean, and they're selfish, and they're abusive, and they're deceitful, and they're not trustworthy, and they can quote the Bible all day long, but they're not becoming like Jesus. Their mind is not being renewed and they're not being transformed. And I would say we certainly see the example of that in the Pharisees. It takes more. We need the Bible to be to renew our minds. We need as we were talking about in our men's breakfast yesterday, we need the Bible is how we know who God is. We would never know who God is. We'd never know who Jesus is if we didn't have the scriptures. But we need more than the scriptures. The word transformed In the Greek is the word metamorpho. From which we get the word metamorphosis. It's only found in four places in the New Testament. Two of those times have to do with Jesus' transfiguring. He was metamorpho. Then there's this time in Romans chapter 12. And then the one other time, and I want to turn there. If you have your Bibles or we will have it on the the screen there. We already do. These guys are fast. Um, It says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, listen to this, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is how... We are transformed and we're gonna spend most of our time, remaining time on this. This is how we are transformed. This is how our minds are renewed. It happens as by the power of the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory of God. The do here isn't actually something we do to ourselves. It's something being done to us by the Holy Spirit as We behold Jesus. We are being transformed. I want to highlight two things from this. The first point is this. We need to behold Jesus if we are ever to reflect him to the world. God created us as image bearers. We are made in the image of God. We are to reflect the image of God. We are to reflect the glory of God. We were created to do that. Last week our son Jared came home from Manhattan for a few days and one evening, I was just about ready to head to bed I see him pulling out his telescope. He's got this huge telescope he keeps at our house and he started pulling it outside. So a couple of us went out to join him and it was just awesome. It was a beautiful, clear night. And the first thing he pulled in on this telescope was Jupiter. And we're looking at Jupiter. No, I'm sorry. The first thing he pulled in was Saturn. I love Saturn. And through the telescope, you could see the planet and you could see the ring around it. It is so awesome. And then he moved it and he, and he pulled in Jupiter. And we could see Jupiter with the lines that run across the planet. And uh, we could see four of its more brilliant stars. And it was just awesome. Then he, then he moved it around and we saw Mars with its redness. And it was so cool. Well, here's the thing. The telescope helped us to see the details of those planets with far more detail than our naked eye ever could. But there's something that was more essential to our seeing those planets than the telescope, and that is the sun, the sun. Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars do not emit any light of their own. They reflect the light of the sun. They shine, we can see them, because the sun shines on them and they reflect that light. <clears throat> and that's us. That's us. As we behold Jesus, we are able to reflect him to a dark world. Jesus said we are the light of the world, not because we have a light, that's, that's, that, a light source in us <clears throat> that's shining, but because we reflect the light of God in our lives as we behold We need to behold him to reflect him. To reflect him, we have to behold him. There's an interesting truth that goes on in our lives, and the scripture talks about it. We become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. What we fill our eyes with, what we center our lives on, we become like that. We reflect what we behold. 2 Kings 17, verse 15 says, speaking of the Jews as they were in rebellion, it says this, they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. As they worshiped worthless idols, they became Worthless. Why? They became what they worshiped. And that happens <clears throat> to us all the time. Whatever's in front of our face, we're going to become like that. If you watch a lot of angry people, you know, like on the news or podcasts or whatever, you're going to probably find yourself angry a lot of times. Can't believe this. I can't believe that. Why is this going on? you're gonna become like what you're looking at. If you fill your eyes with, with lustful images, you're going to, that's gonna become your God, that you're gonna become that. If you worship money, guess what happens? Your life will become poor. Why? Because money is a poor God. If we worship entertainment, our lives become boring. If we worship success, success will fail us. There's this ironic twist to the gods we try to put in. If we worship people, guess what people do? They will disappoint us, maybe even betray us. If we worship family, and by the way, that's a bigger, you know, that's a bigger planet. It's a good planet. But if we worship family, one way or another, we're going to eventually lose our God, aren't we? Our kids are designed to grow up and leave. Eventually, every member of our family will, will say their final goodbye. I want to say, these things make decent planets. They make lousy gods. They make lousy sons. They can be a blessing when they're added to our lives, but if we center on them, they'll always leave us empty. Worshiping worthless gods leaves us worthless. And God is better for that than us. But it starts with beholding Jesus, beholding his glory. He is glorious. So I wanna just encourage us as we read our Bible, don't just read your Bible, read it to behold the glory of Jesus. Don't just pray. Don't just say a little prayer. Pray to behold the glory of God and bring that glory into the situation you're praying for. Don't just go to church or sing songs of worship just to go to church or sing songs of worship, but go expecting to behold Jesus. Posture your heart. Jesus, I want to behold you wherever you're in life. Are you on a mountaintop right now? Enjoy it, but don't worship it. Behold Jesus on that mountaintop. He put you there. He blessed you with that mountaintop. Thank him for his generosity. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him for his faithfulness. I guarantee there are some people who are in a valley right now. A dark valley. Let Jesus, look for Jesus in the valley with you. That is so important. Look for Jesus in the valley. Get your eyes off the valley. Look for Jesus. Behold Jesus in the valley. He is there with you. He will never leave you. He will walk with you through the valley. He will meet you. He will give you strength. And you know what? He'll turn that valley into the place where he changed you and you got to know him better. There are valleys in our lives that we hate every, every step in it. But when we come through, we thank Jesus because we got to know him on a deeper level than when we entered that valley. In other words, any place in life, behold Jesus in it. Behold Jesus in it. And I find the second part of verse 18 encouraging. <clears throat> Paul writes beholding the glory of the Lord so we are beholding his glory we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I thank God for that verse, don't you? Cuz you know what it's telling us? <clears throat> it's explaining why I have been a Christian so long and and are so like so much work left to do. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, Paul's not saying, you behold his glory, you become his glory, bang, you're done. It's a lifelong process. For some of us, it's a slow process. Ask my wife. But it's a process from one glory to another. One degree of glory. And the Bible promises us that the one who started that work will be faithful to complete it onto the day of Christ Jesus. He's, he, as we behold his glory we're becoming more like him and that, does, that means in our character more loving, more patient more compassionate, more truth centered more like Jesus and he will be faithful to complete that work onto the day of Christ Jesus what happens on the day of Christ Jesus John tells us he will appear and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. Like wherever you are in the glory journey right now, when you see him face to face, you will be like him perfectly. You will be like him. That's because it's about beholding Jesus. This isn't something we do on ourselves. Oh, I hope I can. This is something he's doing to us. As we behold him, we become more like him, and we can reflect him to a world that needs to see the reflection of Jesus Christ. The second point that I want to bring out is it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus. Amen? It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul surrounds this beholding of Jesus and being transformed with talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, again, I'm still in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Listen to this. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformation. Comes from the Holy Spirit. It is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that opens our eyes to see the glory of Jesus. If if the Spirit doesn't open our eyes, in fact, chapter four will go on to say this: Jesus is just going to be boring to us. He is just going to be boring to us, and he's not going to mean much, and we're not going to think much of him because it takes the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There can be no transformation without the power of the Holy Spirit. A church without the power of the Spirit is like a car without an engine. It might look good, but it's going nowhere. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that takes all of this and takes our worship and takes our time together in prayer or fellowship or takes our lives when we're in the midst of this or that or the next thing, it takes all of that and it sets it on fire. Remember the two walking to Emmaus after Jesus had been resurrected and they're talking and they're saying, what do you think is going on? And all of a sudden Jesus joins them but they don't recognize him. And they're walking along with Jesus, and he starts unfolding the scriptures to them from the beginning to the end, how Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, had to suffer and die, but would be raised again on the third day. And and then suddenly, as they're breaking bread together, Jesus disappears. They see it's Jesus. He disappears. And guess what they said to each other? They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he was sharing the scriptures? Did not our hearts burn within us? It's the Holy Spirit that burns within us, sets all of this on fire for us. It's the Holy Spirit that burns within us so that the glory of Jesus isn't this cold, distant light like a star, but is a burning glory that burns within our soul so that we want to live for his glory. That's, That's living out our worship. It's the spirit that burns within us with a faith that looks at a daunting situation and says, I believe God is bigger than that. I believe God is faithful in that. I believe God is going to get me through this. One way or another, no predictions, but one way or another, this is a prediction. It will be good because God is working all things together for the good of those who believe in him, who love him and are called according to his purpose. Worship, living what worship." It's the spirit of God that burns with the love in our hearts that cannot be shrunk by self-protection and it cannot be quenched by hurt because we live in a world of hurt, don't we? We live in a world of hurt. We're bouncing off each other. We hurt, we are hurt. And the natural thing, the natural thing is to shrink our love, is to cocoon. I'm not going to risk that again, because look what happened when I loved, when I stepped out to love. Look what happened. That's the natural thing. But the supernatural thing is to love like we were never hurt. It's to love like we never were hurt is to forgive that person and love them and pray for them and wish well upon them and not pull our love in like okay I'm going to protect myself because if Jesus is your savior you don't need to protect yourself if the Holy Spirit sets your heart on fire with love he's going to say it later but I'm going to do a little sneak preview overcome evil with good take it out of the cocoon where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom now by the way that doesn't mean that we go out of our way to get hurt again or become best friends with those who hurt us Jesus when he rose again he didn't go seek out the high priest who crucified him he sought out his friends his disciples but we're free to love and we're free to forgive people we're free to love like we've never heard. But to do that, we need the Holy Spirit. As we close this morning, I want to ask the band to come up. <clears throat> I want to just say, you know, like, this is the big picture. You're living out and I'm living out the reality of that. And as we behold Jesus, it's one degree to another. So we have very real trials, we have very real mountains, we have very real valleys, we have very real struggles, we have very real failures, we have very real, and, and very few of us are walking around with fire, you know, flame, flaming out of us. Although, yesterday we were working at Timothy's house and he was grinding down a metal pole, I've got a picture of it, sparks were flying I've got a. it was so amazing, like flying all around him. I, I said to Zach, uh, Jake, I said, he may go up in flames. <laughs> but very few people live life like that, like flames coming out of them, you know? Um, that's not what we're talking about. Although there are times when the Spirit of God moves like that and it's like game change. But, but in this place, folks, be encouraged. God is so for you, He is so for you. And he is so at work in your life, and he is so faithful. Whatever the challenge is, whatever the issue is, whatever you're struggling with, all, what I'm trying to say is this, just, just look for Jesus in it. Look, Behold Jesus. Yes, it's there. Don't deny it. But look for Jesus. Get your eyes on him. Behold him. And I feel like God has been teaching me this recently. Like I found my prayers being weighted down by myself. By my own, I don't deserve this, and I'm, a, I'm failing here, and I'm not that, and I'm not doing enough here, and I'm not, and my prayers were like weighted down, Lord, I know that, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm like, but it's, that's beholding me, that's beholding you, or we're looking at a trial, and we're saying it's so big, God, if you can do anything, but I know you probably can't, we're beholding the, the trial. Behold, Jesus, he is awesome. He is great. He is the Lord of all, sovereign over all, glorious to such a degree that the most powerful beings in the universe bow their knee to him. And and they would say to you, if you were to worship them, stop, because we do not deserve your worship. Only one deserves your worship. As we see him, the the trials become smaller. And our faith, what's God going to do in this trial becomes bigger. The heartaches become smaller and the healing becomes bigger. That that person that, that you're struggling with, you begin to say, God, would you work in their life? Would you work in our relationship? Behold Jesus. And it's one glory at a time, but it's a good work from the Lord. Let me close with this thought. Paul says, living sacrifices. You know what they did with sacrifices? A lot of times they put them on an altar and did what? They burned them. Yep. But we're living sacrifices. Which means we are to be living our lives burning with a devotion and with the glory of the Lord.